We're turning to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians 15. As ever, I'm reading from the NASB, which uh, is a different translation to some, but not very different. So, you'll be able to follow without difficulty. 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. Now, I make known to you, brothers, the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Simon Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, but because, of, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me didn't prove vain, but I laboured even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the joy of singing your praise. Lord, we've come to worship. We've come to express our delight in you, our thanksgiving for this beautiful day. We thank you, Lord. We know who to thank. We thank you. We know who to acknowledge for all your kindness and goodness and mercy. And Lord, we're so glad to gather together with friends. We're glad to gather with sins forgiven, peace with God, certainty about wonderful truths. Now, Holy Spirit, we do invite you, please, to be our teacher. Come, Holy Spirit, let these words come alive. Let them have impact on our lives. Lord God, we want to be always changed by exposure to your truth. And so please keep coming to us, doing us good, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Now, obviously, and I want to underline, particularly verse 10, that's what I'm speaking on in the main, that we'll refer to this passage. By the grace of God, I am what I am. We often think of grace in connection with forgiveness and mercy. Uh, we think of grace, that God's kindness to us. We don't often think of grace in connection with identity. Here Paul is saying, by the grace of God, this is who I am. This is my identity. And identity is a very big issue. I know for myself, before I became a Christian, I remember uh, I used to live in Brighton and I'd walk down to the seafront and I'd stand and look out at s- to sea and I'd think, what am I here for? Who am I? What, I really used to think, I didn't have a Christian background at all. I'd never had a Bible opened in my home. And so I just thought, well, what, what's the point of life? What are we on the planet for? And I thought, who am I? What am I? And sometimes even when people become Christians and begin the Christian life, they still don't get that answered in the way that the Bible wants it answered. That God wants us to be very peaceful about our identity. And here Paul is saying, by the grace of God, 
I am who I am, and, and we want to open that up. First of all, just to say that that's a very familiar phrase if you are aware of the Bible, if you have any background. You'll remember that when God called Moses to serve him, to go down to Egypt and bring out the Israelites, two million people, uh, he had this voice that came out of a burning bush. It was a phenomenal experience. And he said to this voice, this phenomenon, who shall I say is sending me? And you get this answer, I am who I am. It's a kind of mysterious answer. It's like I'm undefined, I'm uncreated, I'm unthreatened, I'm uncontaminated. I am who I am is sending you. And it speaks of resourcefulness. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I'll be for you everything you need. I'm secure in my identity. This is God arresting a man and commissioning him. And now Paul, talking about his own identity, somehow kind of reflects that. I am who I am by the grace of God. That's his identity. Now, if you'd asked Paul earlier in his life, who are you? He might have been a bit more typical of perhaps how we are. You'll find it elsewhere in the Bible. In Philippians, he says, well, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I sat at Gamaliel's feet. In other words, who he was was to do with his birth, his origins, where he was raised. And often we would think, oh, well, who are you? Well, my background is such and such. My parents were such and such. And, and that can be good or bad. It can be good, like, I come from this kind of stock. And actually, that's how Paul started. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That was uh, one of the kind of specially blessed tribes. And uh, he's saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I'm, I'm lining up totally with what was meant to happen. I sat at Gamaliel's feet. I was ahead of my, my brothers. Uh, I was zealous. Uh, in the, as regards the law, I was blameless. I mean, he makes incredible claims. And so he said, that's who I am. I'm the product of a good background and a good education. That's who I am. And maybe that's how some of us would feel, that I'm the product of some good stuff. But actually, there was another side to Paul. That he says this, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. We just read that. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. And again, if we know our story of the New Testament, we find that there was a wonderful servant of God called Stephen, whom God raised up. He was an eloquent, powerful preacher. He, he performed miracles and signs and wonders. He was one of the most remarkable young men of the early church. And Paul, as a Jew, and hating the gospel of Jesus Christ, refusing to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, when Stephen began to preach, they turned on him, they dragged him, the crowd overwhelmed him, and they laid, it says, their clothes at the feet of Saul, Paul, and killed him. They stoned him to death. And when it says they laid them at Paul's feet, it probably means that means Paul was the responsible person present. He, he was responsible for this first Christian martyr to be stoned to death. And when he was stoned to death, it says his face was like the face of an angel. And as these stones are smashing down on his skull and pulverizing him, he says, don't lay this sin to their charge. And you think, what? Like, forgive them? Even the stones are... are, are and his face like the face of an angel? 
And later on, when Saul becomes a Christian, when he becomes the Apostle Paul, when God calls him, the very first line God says to him is, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, what is hard? What's hard? Well, maybe he couldn't get this angelic face out of his mind. Maybe he couldn't... How do you... What, that face? What was it? That guy? He, he said, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. Maybe, maybe uh, as, even as Stephen died, there was a penetrating word, an experience of... Is, is he real? Is it real? So Saul's got two backgrounds, if I can put it that way. He's got one background which says, yeah, I'm, I'm well trained, I've got good education, I had a good uh, parentage, I've done well, that's who I am. But also he had with him this sense, God, could I ever be forgiven for that? And we can, we can come like that. We can come feeling, well, I know who I am. Sometimes we feel born on the wrong side. You think, oh, well, my background was waste of time, there's nothing about me nothing that I could present but that's who I am, I come from a very bad background, maybe an illegitimate background maybe don't even know who my father was, you know, that's who I am maybe we carry something that says I don't know if I could ever be forgiven for that I ruined her life I could never get mercy for that, I so offended my parents and they've gone now and there are things that people carry that they think, you know, there's forgiveness, but I don't think there is forgiveness for this. And I've been a pastor long enough to know people carry those things. I think, I don't know, I'm trying to be a good Christian, but pff, is there really forgiveness for that? I should never have done that. So this is, this is Paul's background. And yet he's saying this wonderful thing. He's saying he's got a new identity. That grace not only forgives him, grace is not only mercy for sinners. My own devotional Bible reading this morning was Psalm 51, where, where David gets mercy for his sin. And grace, but it's not just mercy for sin, it is new identity. By that, this is who I now am. I'm a new person. I'm not what I used to be. And it's important for us to understand that, that grace gives us a new Identity. Paul says this, we used to know people after the flesh. In other words, we knew them in the way you know anybody else. What's your job? What's your background? Now we don't any longer know one another that way. We now know people who are in Christ. And he says, if anybody is in Christ, behold, and it's a word that often gets lost in modern translations, because we don't often say behold now, do we? Oh, behold, some cyclists. You know, behold isn't in our... Uh, so they just drop the word, sadly. Very often it's just not put in a modern translation. But that's what's there. If anyone is in Christ, look. If you're like, check it out. When it said behold, we should put check it out. Eh? Look, a new creation. A new creation. Jason gave our announcements here earlier this morning. He said three years ago he was just in the back row looking in, wondering what Alpha was about. Now we see a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. We don't know them by normal human categories anymore. We see them as new people. Something God has done, profound. It's not just, oh I got cleansed up. I'm essentially the same person. I just got forgiven. No, the grace of God is bigger than that. It really is bigger than that. It's saying, no, look, new creation, new creation. It, it's talking about a complete transformation. If you see a butterfly, you don't say, oh, look, a caterpillar with some wings that have been sewn on. No, it's new creation. 
It's in creation. Dragonfly. Have you seen a dragonfly grub? It's about the most gross thing you could ever see. But you see a dragonfly flying across water, you think, that is stunning. It's, it's the same, but it's new. If anyone is in Christ, grace gives us new creation. Now, it's important for us to understand this is revolutionary. But it's written into the Bible. You'll find that right back from the Old Testament when God began, uh, he spoke with Abraham. His name was Abram at the time. Abram meant exalted father. And which, in the Old Testament, names especially had meaning. They, the name is a, somehow a tied into your character, your personality, the way you live. And, and Abram's name, and it must have been a very embarrassing name, because he had no children. And his name was Exalted Father. And then God said, I'm going to give you a new name, Abraham. Which meant, Father of a multitude. It's a completely new name. And, and God said, that's who you are now. You're father of a multitude. And it was already embarrassing to introduce yourself to people and say, I'm exalted father. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I know. I'm exalted father. And God said, no, no. You're father of a multitude. And it says, Abraham believed God. And he was changed. And in fact, we, the Bible says, we are all now children of Abraham. Chinese, Mexican, Russian, Brits. We're all children. His children are multiplied. God said that would happen. He gave him a new identity. gave him a new name that went with the new identity. Israel was a new name. His original name was Jacob, which meant crook. He was a crook. He was a cheat. That was in his personality. Even from his birth, he cheated. Even the way he got born and the way he, he, he tricked his older brother, Esau, he he was a crook. And yet God changed his name to Israel, which means prince with God. And he actually changed his character. First of all, God changed his name, then he changed his character. God declares change and then works change into us. It's important to see that's the way it happens. He came to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, I know your past, you will be Peter which means a rock. Now, if you look at the stories in the Gospels, Peter hardly looks like a rock. He looks one of the most impulsive guys you could ever meet. He's old mouth and uh, little trousers. I mean, he's not very impressive. He's not a very impressive guy. But he becomes, you read his epistles later, wow, what a rock. But Jesus said, this is who you are. It's the same with Gideon. And this is my last illustration of this. Gideon, we're told, when we first meet him in the Bible, is a man hiding in a cave. And while he's hiding in a cave, it says he's threshing wheat. Well, that's a waste of time. You have to thresh wheat out where the wind's blowing, where the chaff can be separated from the uh, true wheat. And, and so to do it in a cave is stupid. And he's scared, and he's a nobody. And God comes and calls him. He says, Gideon, you mighty man of valour. That's crazy. So it's almost like Gideon saying, uh, who's he talking to? No, you, you, you are a valiant warrior. I am? Yes, that's who I say you are. Now, before the story of Gideon's finished, he leads 300 people against tens of thousands and wins a great battle. That looks to me like a mighty warrior. But listen, God can call you that 
as soon as he likes. He says, this is who you are by grace. This is what I make you. I know that's not what you are. I know that's not the result of your background. In fact, Gideon's answer, unlike Paul, Paul's uh, uh, identity is Hebrew of Hebrews, trained here, good background. He's, Gideon's answer is, I'm the least in my father's house. And my father's house is nothing. In other words, there's nothing to commend me. But God said, no, you are a mighty Warrior. From now on, that's who you are. Because God, by grace, can give you a new identity. And Gideon believed God. He actually took a little while to believe him, if you read the story. He went through some buffetings. He went through, well, can you prove that to me? Can you help me believe it? Would you let this happen and that happen to really prove it? But God kindly, graciously got him to the place where he believed it. And it's fascinating. If you read the story, as you follow the story of Gideon through, you'll find it says this at one point. Gideon is pursuing uh, in this battle. He's won the battle. They're pursuing those who are running away. And Gideon comes across some people uh, and he says to those who are there, they say, oh, people went through. They've just gone through. Uh, And they say to Gideon, he says, what were they like? And he said, they were like sons of kings, as you are. He said, Gideon, like a son of a king? But I'm the son of a nobody, and I'm the least. But now this guy says, no, no, like you are, a son of a king. So Gideon has been transformed. Gideon is no longer a cowardly man. He's believed what God says of him, and by grace he's become what God says he is. So Paul is saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. The difference is important for us as Christians, to take the weight of that, to feel the weight of that. So often, it's so sad to me to hear people say, well, you know, Christians are just sinners who found forgiveness. No, that is not the whole gospel. Christians are people who have been given new identity. If any man is in Christ, check it out. New creation. We're new. We've been changed. Something inside has been profoundly changed. And if we will acknowledge that and engage with God we will find that God makes the change visible. It becomes to manifest. And it's not us just trying to be religious. It is us living out what God says has happened to us radically on the inside. So here we have, by the grace of God, I am who I am. And Paul goes on to talk also, not about only identity, but ministry. If you look at the verse, we're going to work our way through this verse. And he says that he received grace and apostleship. Right? I'm not worthy to be an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So, ministry is also a grace gift. It's important for us to know that. That ministry is not just from your human personality. It's not, oh, well, he had a good, he had a good education, he could become a pastor. He had a good education, oh, he's a bit clever, he could be an evangelist, he tells a good story. It's nothing to do with that. It's not that we, we, oh, let's go to theological college. Right, go away to, to Bible college or uh, theology school. Right, at the end, right, we take examinations and those with 80% and above are apostles. Uh, those with 70% are prophets. Uh, those with 60% and above, uh, uh, they're pastor teachers. And the rest of them, you know, it's, no. It's, it's not how good we are at studying, applying ourselves It says, he ascended on high and gave gifts of grace to people. They're gifts. They come from heaven. 
They're direct. They're supernatural. And so you'll find that one is given the grace to be a teacher, another's given the grace to be an evangelist, another a prophet, and it's important for us, dear friends, as we're trying to build New Testament church life, that we don't have just the clergyman and the people, we don't just have the priest and the laity, we have a church that is multi-gifted, because that's what the Bible teaches. And the gifts are different. So sometimes... An evangelist has got a reaping skill. He just has skill to reap. When uh, I was in the church in Brighton very often, there, there, was a, there was a young man there, whose name was Phil, who's a very gifted evangelist. And sometimes when we preached, when I preached, I would preach a sermon, and at the last ten minutes, he would come up and just bring an application, evangelistic application, which led to people becoming Christians. We did that because we saw that they were doing that in uh, uh, South Africa, in Cape Town, uh, where uh, Lex Loisides is. And Steve, who preached here a few weeks ago, Steve would preach, and then he'd sit down, and Lex would come up and give the last ten minutes. Because he'd got a reaping skill, had ability to reap. And it's it's funny sometimes that an evangelist might speak, and a teacher may be sitting in the congregation, and he hears the evangelist, and he thinks, gosh... He hasn't explained the atonement. He hasn't explained redemption. No one will become a Christian. And the evangelist preaches and then he says, now you come, you come to Jesus. And they'll come forward, oh dear, we're going to write with God. And the teacher thinks, how did that happen? And the next week the teacher thinks, I'll set it right. And so he sets it all out, about the fall and redemption and atonement and resurrection. And he sets it on people and say, oh, that's helpful, that's really helpful. And then he says, now you come. Now you come. And people come to him afterwards and say, oh, thank you so much. I understand what I didn't understand before. His gift is different. His gift brings understanding, comprehension. The prophet knows things. He just knows things. It's not through study, not through application of scripture, though scripture always has final authority. But he knows things. You see, these gifts give... God gives different gifts. And a church that is full of the Spirit will have multiplied gifts in it. That's the way it's meant to be. So Paul says in Romans 1.5, I received grace and apostleship. He was given grace to be an apostle. 1 Corinthians 3 says, God gave me grace to be a wise master builder. And the word master builder is, for the Greek words, what we get our word architect. It's like this apostolic gift is kind of sees the whole thing, sees how it fits together. He said, that's the gift, that's the grace God gave me. God gives grace. In Ephesians 3 too, he says, God give me stewardship of that grace he's given to me for you. Grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul's very conscious he's been given a gift, which as in his case was to be an apostle. Others may be given gifts to be teachers or evangelists or prophets in the Ephesians 4 list, but also you find lots of places in the New Testament where there are lists of gifts. 1 Corinthians, Romans 12. It says in Romans 12, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. We have gifts that differ. Again, in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received, as each 
has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Variegated, multicoloured grace of God. God gives multicoloured gifts. I'm old enough to remember black and white television. Boring. When coloured television came to... The Bible says that God's given multicoloured gifts. All sorts of gifts. And the lists are not exhaustive, but they're, you know, some talk about apostles, prophets, evangelists. Others talk about administration, hospitality, inspiring faith, prophesying, all sorts of gifts. God gives gifts. And we have to be stewards of that grace. Right? By the grace of God, first of all, identity. I am what I am. I'm a, I'm a new creation. I'm not trying to get out from what I used to be. God's given me a fresh start. We're born again. It's a new birth, a new start. Secondly, he gives us gifts. And then he goes on to say this. We'll work our way through the verse. His grace to me was not in vain. Alright, so by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. Now, how can, how can we make grace in vain? Well, I want to suggest to you some ways the Bible talks of. First one, I would say, is unbelief. Unbelief. That if God says, this is what I've called you to be, this is what I've called you to do, and you think, I couldn't possibly do that. Now, you're in danger of making his grace in vain. And that's Gideon nearly went there. Gideon, Gideon nearly lost out. He said, I'm calling you, you're a mighty man of valour. He says, oh, I'm not. I'm a child of a very poor family and I'm the youngest, I'm useless. And, and, and if he had stayed there, that's the end of Gideon. But God mercifully encouraged him and he said, but if this is true, would you do this? Would you show me? And step by step he came to the place where he was faith. And he blew a trumpet and gathered an army. He stepped out from feeling I can't do anything to, well if God says that, I can. And dear friends, Christianity is lived by faith. And God chooses, the Bible says, God chooses weak things. And he chooses foolish things. And the Bible says he chooses those that are not. And so if our inclination is to say, well I'm just a weak person, God chooses weak people. But he's got this purpose, namely, to glorify his name in all the earth. So if we just say, well, I'm just a weak person, end the story. No, 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 God's saying to weak people, come on, step into the grace I'll give you. Come out from your limitations. Come out from where you used to be. When I felt God began to call me and I felt, I felt I'm called to be a preacher, my pastor of the Baptist church in Hove said, well, you should go out and try to preach around. I thought, go and preach around. And so uh, I, I was invited to speak at an old folks' home. It was one of the first places I ever preached, an old folks' home. And uh, I went along, and I was so scared, this is true, I had a handkerchief ready, because I thought I was going to throw up. That's honest truth. Because I'm going to speak. Oh, I'm going to speak to people. Oh, oh. And uh, I remember standing at the door of this place, and we went in, and there's like 25 elderly ladies, most of whom are fast asleep. And I'm terrified, right? That is, and, and for me, 
For me, for several of my first opportunities to preach, I went through this again and again. I thought, I'm going to throw up. I'm so scared. I can't do this. But God had called me. And it's amazing that you can step out of... I was one of those kids who at school was a right, you read now, you know, read publicly to the whole class. <gasps> That's my personality. That's where I come from. And we might say, well, I can't do it then. I'd love you to leave the house group. No, I couldn't. <laughs> See, a lot of us will, will not progress because we'll feel, well, I know my limitations. But Paul is saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's given me grace. He's given me ability. He scatters, as each has received, a special gift. So as believers, it should be in our hearts to feel, what's God giving me to do? What am I, what is my part to play? And so we raise, rise with faith. We, we come out of our human limitations. We come out of our caterpillar life into our butterfly life. We become new creation by the grace of God. Not because, you know, you worked hard at it. You just will go through this, how it works. So he said, now beware then of making it in vain through unbelief. Gideon could have said no. Moses, the most famous Moses, when God said to Moses, go and speak to Pharaoh, what was his answer? I can't speak. Send somebody else. See, it's very common to the human condition. I can't do it. Get someone else to do it. And in the end, God reasons with Moses. And in the end, it says, he was angry with Moses. So God got him on his side. And then Moses became, well, maybe the greatest hero of the Old Testament. He grew into that. He believed God. But he nearly missed it. You're in danger of that this morning, my friends? Of feeling, well, I'm just, I, just, I just watch other people. I just... Now, come on. God's given you a new identity. God wants you to find an area of grace that he wants you to recognise as being given to you. Another thing that can make us lose grace is through legalism. Alright, so Paul, let me just quote a couple of verses. I do not, it says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died needlessly. One other verse, Galatians 5.4, You who are seeking to be justified by law have fallen away from grace. The danger is that we try to make ourselves acceptable to God when he's already made us acceptable. And Paul's writing those verses to the Galatians and uh, what happened was that Paul preached in Galatia. People got saved, healed, filled with the Spirit. A great church came to birth in a pagan nation. There's a wonderful church through Paul's preaching. Paul goes on his way. After he's gone on his way, the Judaizers, that's Jewish Christians, people with a Jewish background who haven't really seen clearly the Gospel, come in behind Paul and say to these people, Ah, it's wonderful. You've received our Messiah. Uh, Our our prophets told us that that the pagans would receive our Messiah. We're so glad you've received the Messiah. Uh, But now, you know, we've known him for centuries. Uh, if you really receive this, like, you, need, you need to, if you really want to be acceptable, uh, you need to be circumcised. Uh, you must keep the Sabbath. Uh, you mustn't eat that kind of food. Uh, you must keep the feast days. And what they were doing was saying this, okay, so grace has come to you, but for real acceptance, 
you need to do all this extra stuff. And Paul says, what are you doing adding these things? He said, if you add your Sabbath keeping in order to be acceptable, uh, circumcision, the food laws, if you add all that stuff, you've fallen from grace. You're trying to justify yourself. And there are many Christians who disqualify themselves because they feel, I'm not doing enough, I don't pray long enough, I don't read my Bible hard enough. And so they're trying to be acceptable to God by their religious duties, how they're keeping them up. Are they they satisfying God? Do I pray enough? Is God really... No, grace makes me accepted. There's nothing I do that can add to that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so you can miss grace by adding rules, adding religious performance to make yourself acceptable. And God wants us to be very clear about that. We have a desire to please him, but we don't read the Bible in order to earn points. We don't say, are you impressed with that, Lord? I read a whole chapter this morning. You know, I prayed for a quarter of an hour. Impressive, Lord? No, Jesus has impressed him on our behalf. Jesus is my righteousness. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. When I wake up tomorrow, Jesus Christ is my righteousness. And every tomorrow, he has given me grace. By the grace of God, we are what we are. Of course we want to pray. I want to pray. But I'm not trying to impress God. I'm not trying to earn points. It's a done deal. It's finished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's done. You're accepted, totally accepted. Now don't fall away from grace by trying to justify yourself by religious duties. Don't do it. You fall from grace, Paul says. You are seeking to be justified by law have fallen from grace. You're making grace in vain. So beware that danger. Now thirdly, here's another thing. He says, grace to me was not in vain. Here's another way we can make grace vain. It's the opposite of legalism what I'll call license. Alright, so here's a couple of verses that you'll recognise. 1 Peter 2.16 Act as free men, but don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Alright, now you're free. Now, you see, for Jewish people, it must have been staggering that now we're accepted anyway. We don't have to go through all that to be accepted. It must have been extraordinary freedom for them. It's like we're, we can, we can do this, we're allowed to do that, we can eat pork, we can, we can, we, can, we don't have to do, we, we, hey, we can do, we're accepted! He said, be careful then, don't act, don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. What are you up to? Well, I'm free now. Do what I like. Well, not exactly the point. Jude, Jude Verse 4 says this, ungodly persons who turn grace into licentiousness. What some people call cheap grace. In other words, you say you're accepted, but you do what you like. He said, be careful of not accepting grace, and instead of giving yourself to God in devotion, being careless. Now, don't do that, he says. And then another one, 1 Corinthians 6.12. He says this, all things are lawful. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I won't be mastered by anything. I won't be mastered by 
anything. All things are lawful. I know when I first became a Christian, I didn't change my life very much. Then I had a kind of crisis where I thought, no, I must give my whole life to God. I must, I must, he wants my life. And when I did that, I kind of said, well, all that old lifestyle needs to go. So my old life, I thought, well, I'll I'll give away all my jazz records. (gasps) Terrible thing. Give away all my jazz records. I thought, I'll I'll become teetotal. Because I used to drink too much. So I became teetotal. I thought, well, I'm, I'm a Christian now, I'll be teetotal. So, you know, you'd be at a wedding and they say, now let's, let's toast the bride and groom. And they'd all say, bride and groom. And I'd stand. Because I'm teetotal. So I wouldn't touch it. So, because now I've made that decision. And, because uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, because I'm not allowed to. Christians don't, see. And then, and then gradually, as time goes by, I'm getting to know the Bible, I'm getting to know God. I'm seeing Jesus, actually, he seemed to drink wine. He made gallons of it at the wedding. They called him a wine-bibber. Now, some people would say, well, it's not real wine. You know, it's, it's grape juice. So he's a grape juice-bibber. <laughs> now, wine was part of the deal. And, and so, I, some, I thought, oh, no, that's true, actually. And so, I lined up with that. I thought, no, actually, it's true. I, and so, so now I felt, now I can, bring, I can drink wine. But the Bible says this, don't be drunk with wine. And so what Paul is saying here in this passage, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I won't be mastered by anything. So these people came out from a very bondage-driven religion, the Jewish religion is very bondage-driven into a freedom, and they said, now be careful that you don't, in your freedom, become mastered. So now, you used to be teetotal, now you feel, well actually, I, I think I could have a glass of wine, I could, you know, but be careful you don't then move on to, become, well I'm, well, I'm free, I can drink what I like. What happens is, hey, now you've just got mastered by it. That's not liberty, that's new bondage. You haven't stepped into freedom. In the name of freedom, you step back into bondage. That's the way the Bible teaches it. We need to say, the Bible teaches, this is your identity, now live it out. You are a new creation. You are accepted to God. You want to live free. But freedom is not there to masquerade so that actually you're just doing what you like in terms of licentiousness. The Bible is very clear on it. And we need to just note that. Otherwise you make grace in vain. You mess up grace. You, you say, oh, I can do it because I'm under grace. And what happens is you become very undisciplined. And so we need to get that right. Let's make sure the grace of God is not in vain. Two more. Another one, Paul says this. He says, I submitted my gospel to those who were apostles before me, lest I should run in vain. What does that mean? Well, Paul was supernaturally called by Jesus on the Damascus Road. He had his own encounter with God. He saw a light so bright it blinded him. He was privately and personally called to be an apostle. And he actually was very comfortable with that. But then it says in Galatians, but I went down to Jerusalem and submitted to Peter, Paul, James, John, those who were in Christ before him, and said to them, Are you happy with what I'm saying? And it says they gave him the right hand of fellowship. In other words, 
he wasn't a law unto himself. He wasn't just, it's me and Jesus, I don't need anybody else, thank you. And that's what we want to be very careful of. And you can see that. And I've been around long enough to see some young guys and girls who started well and then got into a funny theology, a funny emphasis. It's like one, one doctrine of preoccupation. One issue, Christians. Ah, this is the thing. This is, this, is, this is what it's all about. No, no, come on, be careful. Be careful of the danger of just being a law unto yourself. Paul says, I didn't want to do that in case I run in vain. I just, get, I just get my own emphasis. And so although he had a phenomenal encounter with God, extraordinary call, he really honoured the whole body. He really said to those who were in Christ before him, is this okay, what I'm preaching? And they say, yes, great. And gave him the right hand of fellowships. Very important. And then the last one that I've noticed that could make grace in vain is the very one in the text, really. He says, his grace to me was not in vain because I worked harder than any of them. That's in the verse. So, laziness is something that can make grace in vain. And again, when you understand grace, you think, oh, I don't have to justify myself. I don't have to do this, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do things to be acceptable to God. And the danger is that laziness can creep in. And Paul says, no, 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 his grace to me was not in vain, for I worked harder than any of them. Hard work and grace are not enemies. If you receive grace, that doesn't become manifest by the fact you don't bother. In a sense, you've been set free. You've been set free from that drivenness to try and justify yourself. You're set free from that. But it's not meant to produce a kind of laziness. And so he says, his grace to me was not in vain. Why? Because I worked harder than any of them. Now let's just follow this through a bit further. It says, I worked harder than any of them. To finish off the verse, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. So you think, Paul, what are you saying? I worked hard, but I didn't work hard. The Christ, or the grace of God, that was with me. You think, oh, Paul, did you work hard or not? What does this mean? What is it actually saying? I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God. What does that mean? I don't believe it means this. I don't, mean, I don't believe it means, you know, God showed me grace on the Damascus Road and I've been working hard to say thank you for that. It's, like, it's not like, you know, I got saved in 2005, God showed me grace in 2005, that's when I became a Christian and I've been working hard ever since to say, thank you Lord, thank you so much, I'll repay my debt to you. See, some people think that that's what that is the Christian motive, repaying the debt. Even some of our songs can kind of hint at that sometimes. Even old hymns sometimes have lines in them that almost sort of say, you know, Christianity is repaying the debt to Jesus for the terrible price he paid for us on the cross. We're, we're paying back by all that we do. I don't believe it's true. I don't think we can. There's no way we can pay the debt. <laughs> what can we give to him? 
He provides everything for us. There's no way I can pay it back. I don't believe that's what it means at all. That he was working to demonstrate his appreciation. Pay back the debt. I don't believe that's what it means. He's saying, I worked, but not I, but the grace of God working in me. I don't think it means this either. That you work hard, you work hard, you work hard, and then you sometimes come up for a bit of grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You really met with me in the meeting. Oh, thank you, thank you. Right, back to work. You know, it's like summer holiday. You come up for oh, summer holiday. Oh, thank you. Oh, oh summer holiday. Oh, well, I'm back to, you know. No, it, that's not what grace is. It's not like I receive grace, then I work hard. I come up for Sunday morning. I want, oh, please let there be some grace in the meeting. I come to get grace and then I work. It's not saying that. It's saying, I worked hard, yet not I, but the grace of God that actually does the work in me. I'm actually receiving grace while I'm doing it. It's actually grace that is active. It's grace that provides the energy. It's grace that keeps me going. It's grace that supplies what I need. So it's, yeah, I am doing it, and Paul will give you a list of what he went through, beatings and shipwrecks and all the rest of it, but he says, but but actually God supplies energy for me. God keeps on supplying grace to me in the doing of it. I'm sometimes surprised when we, when, you know, you travel and people say, would you preach here and do this and do that? Here's another another meeting, another meeting. And I'm amazed sometimes at the end of a busy day, it may be your body is tired, but actually, instead of feeling, you feel, hey, I feel kind of exhilarated. Why? Well, it's because in the doing of what God's given you to do, there's grace. In the doing of it, there's grace to do it. And it's important for us that we seek to discern what is the gift God's given me so that I'm doing what God's given me to do and actually in the doing of it, there's grace to do it. What it is the danger is when we get outside of the sphere we're meant to be in. Then you can get into that kind of Martha complex, can't you? When Martha is busy serving Jesus and says to Jesus, tell Mary, she's not doing anything. She's not much grace there, is there? She's going, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. She's not doing it, I'm doing it. It's like, I'm just doing my duty. But somehow when you see people working with the grace God gives them to do, you don't feel that kind of guilt thing. You don't feel, why isn't she doing it? When people are really given the gift of hospitality, I'm amazed. I'm amazed what people do. I remember at the first church where we, Wendy and I were, that there was a lady in the church who was had a remarkable gift of hospitality. And it's, it's almost like her, her table was elastic. And she'd stand by my side at the end of the meeting and say, any guests this morning? And I'd say, yeah, some of the students. She'd send them down. And they'd go to her home and there'd always be food. I, I don't know how she does it. And, you know, she'd always say, come down with them. You know, let's meet them. And, I, and there's the table, and I think, how did I just like some more food coming out? And, and there were smiles and fun, and, and she had like children all over the world. These students would come from all over the world, and they visit our church from time to time, and they go back to here, and then they write to her. And I think, wow, it's so beautiful. There's a grace of hospitality. There's a grace of different gifts God gives us. And Paul is saying this: I labour, but. Somehow it's not I. 
but God's grace in thee. There are other verses that say things like this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now let's take it seriously. For God is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. God works on you. God works on your will and on your ability. He's at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. He, he, he will change your heart. He's at work in you and then he'll help you do it. And so Christians, when the day you get saved, in a moment, God justifies you as a gift. In a moment. He says, you are accepted. But I'm a sinner. You are accepted because of Jesus. You are now a Christian. You are now a new identity. Now gradually, he'll draw you into the manifestation of that. If you will believe who you now are, if you believe that I'm a new creation, God's at work in me, which says, we are his workmanship. The uh, Jerusalem Bible translates that, his work of art. He's, he, you're, he's making you into something you used not to be. He's made, it's not you trying to be religious, and yet you're being responsible, you're working it out, but you're very aware that there's another energy factor. There's another, you find new preferences coming. New things you'd rather do, whereas in the past, no, you'd rather do that. No, actually, you'd rather do this. You, you have a new identity. You find your disposition changes. By the grace of God, we have new abilities, even in pressure. Even in pressure. So Paul says at one time, he's praying, oh God, take this thorn from me. He has what he calls a thorn in the flesh. Doesn't say what it is. Obviously some very serious pressure. I personally believe it's persecution because of the rest of the passage. He's saying, God, take this from me. Take this from me. He's pleading with God. He says, three times I sought the Lord. Please take this from me. And he said, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul says, so I will glory in these persecutions because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because grace comes to me. I'm receiving grace. And so, beloved, as Christians, we are living in communion with God. We are the branches. He's the vine. He supplies us with sap from the vine. We keep taking from God. We keep receiving grace upon, of his fullness we've received. Grace upon grace. Kindness on kindness. We keep receiving. We keep receiving. And we bring glory to God by bearing fruit for him. We've received grace. Okay, so as we close here, let's just take a fresh thought. It says here quite plainly, what is your identity? If you're a Christian, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am no longer simply the product of my background. Either good, like Paul, or bad, like Gideon. That's not who you are. See, very often, who are you? You say, well, I do this, and I've got this job. I, I went there, and my parents were. It really isn't the point now. Who we are now is what God has, God has cut us free. He's given us new identity. We're in Christ. This is who we are now. New creation. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm a new person with all kinds of new possibilities. I don't have to be dragged down. I don't need to find my significance by saying, well, I did go to a good school. It's not the point. It's in Jesus now. 
And I don't let that grace be in vain. I'm not going to mess that up. I'm not going to go off at tangents. I want to keep drawing on that adequate supply of grace and live as the new person God wants me to be. And the church is a company of people who are new creation people. There's a sense in which we've already started the age to come. There'll come a day when God says, check it out, I make all things new. He's creating new heavens, new earth. For the believer, check it out, already new creation. Living in the old, but already tasting of the powers of the age to come. Already part of the new age. We've got one step in there already. And we're living by grace. Let's stand to pray. band could come up, it would be great. It's just uh, kind of settle things in your mind. Believe it in your heart. If anyone is in Christ, when, when you became a Christian, the Bible says, Jesus says, you are new creation. God gives us a new name. God gives us new identity. He starts again with us. We're born again. A new birth. New identity. And don't let that grace be in vain. Don't say, well, I can't do this. I, I, no, it's not me. My, my background is such. No, no, no. I'm new. I'm new. Now we say to God, what, what, what have you got for me? I don't want to disqualify myself. I don't want to put myself out by saying, well, no, I'm not religious enough. That's really not the point. I don't want to mess up by saying, well, who cares anyway? I don't want to be independent. I want to draw from the wisdom of the church, those who are in Christ before me. Yeah, I do want to work hard. I can't repay the debt but I want to let this grace have its outworking in me. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this gathered company who love you. Thank you maybe this morning, some looking in. Maybe you've not, you've not responded to Jesus yet. It, said, it says in the Bible, he, ca- he came to his own but his own didn't receive him. To those who received him, he gave the power to become children of God. You have to receive him. When you receive him, he gives you the power to become a new kind of person. Maybe this morning you want to come and speak to us at the end and say, well, I don't know if I've ever received him. Maybe you want to check out the Alpha course. So wonderful to receive him. Receive grace. Receive newness of life. Father, I want to ask you once again, please, that your word will stay with us, do us good, transform us. Help us to believe, Lord, even as we sing your praise now, even as we sing out our faith, 
Let that faith set us free. I pray, Lord, for any who kind of go over their past, who put themselves down. I pray for any who think, well, I think I may have committed sins that can't be forgiven. I thank you, Lord, you released Paul from the terrible guilt of killing Stephen. You gave him freedom. I pray for any this morning who just need to believe you that God forgives every sin. It's all forgiven, all forgotten. Thank you, Father. Bless your word to us, Lord. Let it produce fruit in us. Receive our love. Receive our worship. In the name of Jesus. Amen.